Hello, I'm Steve Martin. And I'm Hayley Hayes. And you are you, which makes this Earshot, the radio promotions, marketing and production podcast. Earshot with Steve Martin. Today is all about creativity and in particular some ways we can all be a little bit more creative. I've got a couple of great interviews coming up. I've got your letters and comments from the mailbag later on and because we're recording this around Christmas, a seasonal treat from Norway, but it's not a treat. So let's focus on creativity now. We're going to meet a psychologist a little later to understand how the brain generates and retains ideas. But first, meet John Vorhaus. He's the author of The Comic Toolbox, How to Be Funny Even If You're Not. And guess what? I'm not. So when I met him, I wanted to find out why it's so hard to be naturally funny. Well, most people are burdened by fear. They're afraid, they're afraid if they tell the joke, the joke won't work, people will hate them, they hate themselves, and it's just a big mess. So there is a, a, a fear barrier that needs to be overcome. And the easiest way to do it, you don't have to convince yourself, okay, I'm going to be funny. All you have to do is kind of be willing to be unfunny. Say to yourself, I'm going to try to write things that look like jokes, sound like jokes, but maybe aren't funny. And I'll write ten of them. I actually have a special word for these. I call them jokeoids. Not a real joke. Looks like a joke, sounds like a joke, just doesn't land. It doesn't quite work as a joke. But if you take 10 shots at that, no more than 10, you're bound to find one that really makes you laugh. And that one kind of gives you the fuel to burst past that fear because you now have evidence. Hey, by luck or just by being willing to try, I came up with something that's actually pretty funny. Now I have the experience of myself as someone who can tell a joke, can create a funny situation. Let me see if I can repeat it. It also helps if you have strategies and tactics that you can use, like comic tools, like uh, Clash of Context, as an example. Oh, give me an example of that. Of Clash of Context? Yeah. Okay, you and I are in a very quiet place, and we're trying to get a job done. We're trying to do an interview. If a marching band came in through the door right now, it would be very unexpected. wouldn't be funny to us, but it would be funny to observers watching the scene because they would say these two poor guys they're just trying to get an interview done and here's a freaking marching band what's up with that so that's clash of context taking a thing out of the place it belongs out there on the parade route and bringing it into a place that it doesn't belong in this nice quiet room so once you know that there's this tool you suddenly don't have to guess about how to be funny you can use a tool to be funny and comedy is famously subjective mm -hmm. you said you write something and you see it makes you laugh how can you build the confidence that it will make others laugh too? Well, you can't for sure. You can know for sure if it doesn't make you laugh, it won't make anybody else laugh. But the opposite isn't necessarily true. You can't know for sure that the joke will work with other people. One thing you can do to help your case is to recognize it can't work for everyone. No joke works for everyone. If you can imagine, there's a bell curve. What you're looking for is what I call the big fat middle, where most of the people are. You lose some people, they don't get the joke because they don't have enough information or they're too dumb, or they're too young, or they're not sophisticated. You lose some people because they have too much information. They've heard the joke before, there's no surprise, or it strikes them as silly or unimportant. So you lose the left end and the right end of the bell curve, and you aim for the big fat middle. But that's okay. That's absolutely, and it's not only okay, it's the fact. There is no, nobody's funny to everyone. And no joke is funny to everyone. Writers in radio, particularly writing radio commercials, have to get ideas conveyed, characters built in a very short period of time. What tips can you give them? Uh, write it long and then cut the crap out of it. Uh, I always say write it wrong and write it long. 
and then figure out what works and what doesn't work. I think writers in commercials have a much bigger challenge because a, a, a comic creator such as myself, making television shows, films, writing scripts, writing books, I only have to do one job, and that's tell my story and be funny with it. But someone writing advertising copy has to do two jobs, has to write something, tell a story, be funny, that's one job, and sell the product, and that's another job. And I worked, I started in advertising as a copywriter, and I know how soul-killing it is to have a great comic idea and come up against the, the client or the account executive who says, well, it may be funny, but it's not right for the product, or it's so funny that it overwhelms the product. And that's the sort of thing that makes people leave advertising every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in your work writing for television and, mm-hmm. and, and, and visual production, do you meet a lot of people that have come through the advertising route? Oh, absolutely. Everywhere I go. I was in Brazil last year. I did a workshop just for advertising people who were interested in writing for television and film, which is a growing market there. I had a colleague who is the head of an advertising agency, a longtime fan of the Comic Toolbox, and he brought me in specifically to help his copywriters and his creative people feel more at home in the work they're doing because you can't you can't ignore the situation you're in i'll I'll tell you a story i'll make it brief i did a workshop for uh, walt disney feature animation one time for their artists and illustrators and they brought me in because they had bad process people were not working well together their staff their creative staff was unhappy and so I came in and I said, let's start by telling ourselves, what is a Disney movie? What, what qualities do we know a Disney movie has? Well, it's got talking animals and pretty colors and songs and good morals and big eyes and, you know, positive values and fun for the whole family. All of these things that we know and magic, all these things we know a Disney movie is. And then I said to this room full of artists and writers, what kind of movies do you like? What kind of movies do you want to be making? And one guy says, well, Reservoir Dogs. And I said, that's your problem. You want to make Reservoir Dogs an environment where the best you can hope for is Reservoir Puppies. (laughs) (laughs) So you have a choice. Accept the environment you're in and make the most of the creative opportunity it presents or get the hell out of town, Jack. Those are your choices. (laughs) But to stay in the environment and feel bad about it because it's not delivering what you need on the level of your creative soul, that seems counterproductive to me. Either accept the situation or change the situation. Don't stay in the situation and lament. And I and from speaking my from my heart to every creative advertising guy or gal out there because I was in exactly that situation. I was 25 years old and I was really making it in advertising. And I said, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 40. I better get out now while I got nothing to lose. And that's what I did. And now you're helping others in all forms of writing through your book. Let's pluck another tool from the toolbox. Okay. Uh, Talk about characterization and establishing characters quickly. Okay. The key to creating a comic character is to endow the character with something that's called a comic perspective. A comic perspective is a single, strong, clear filter of reality that the character has. Um, You might have a character who is a, a mad scientist selling couches, let's say. So his comic perspective is, I'm crazy. All of his lines are not really jokes. They're just filtering the reality through the point of view of a crazy person. That's what makes the character work. Once you have that, the rest is just filling in the blanks. But once you have that, you know this character is a mad scientist. Every word out of his mouth must be crazy or he's not being true to his character. So now you have a way of writing the character that's easy, simple, and clear. Establish the comic perspective and let the character view reality through the comic perspective. And for air talent that's on on air on the radio, maybe doing a morning show, and the program director is saying, be yourself, be real, give more of your life to the audience. How do you reconcile that with the comic characters? Uh, 
the, the type of air personality you're talking about has a particular problem, and the problem is that that person needs to be actually two people, his real self or her real self, and his on-air personality, and those two might not necessarily be in harmony with each other. In the ideal situation, his real self is the anchor, and his comic self is the exaggeration of his real self that gets the joke. But the bottom line, as far as I'm concerned, is people are more afraid of telling the truth than they should be. Most people, when they seek creative entertainment, they're seeking truth, they're seeking a deeper understanding of something. And whether it's a deeper understanding of you or me or the situation in the world as they find it, that's what they really want. They don't want shuck and jive, they don't want lies, they don't want uh, uh, a pretend world, they want the real deal. Uh, If I were an on-air personality, I imagine I would be very scared to reveal my true self. But as a professional working in the creative field, I reveal myself, my failures, my lacks, my, my downfalls all the time. And that's the most powerful tool I have because people will see me modeling failure and they'll say, hey, if the expert can fail, God, that gives me plenty of room to fail. And people find that very liberating. John, it's great to talk to you. The book is called The Comic Toolbox, How to Be Funny Even If You're Not, and it's John Vorhaus. How can we get the book? Okay, uh, you can go through Amazon uh, Europe, Amazon US, UK, any Amazon. I'm going to spell my name because that's the best um, uh, search engine. It's J-O-H-N-V-O-R-H-A-U-S. That's also my website, johnvorhaus.com. And uh, so either through my web, well, through my website, you can check out the books, see what they are. I sell exclusively through Amazon. That's great, John. And we'll put a link on earshotcreative.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Yes, John Vorhaus, interesting guy. What did you take out from that, Haley? I think the biggest thing I got is the peer pressure. So when you think you have to be funny, suddenly it makes it even harder to be funny. And I think how he mentioned in the interview, it's taken that fear away. You work with presenters in, in speech radio, and I'm, I'm interested to know if you spotted a difference between presenters who are naturally entertaining and whether they, their approach is different if they're being pre-recorded or live. Everyone likes to do live because you get the adrenaline rush. And no matter how hard you try... When you pre-record, the audience know, you know, the producer knows. When it's live, you're rushing so much and you get that adrenaline buzz because you're looking at the clock. When you're pre-recording, you just don't get that buzz. And as a producer, what do you do to try and mitigate the uh, negative effects of pre-recording? You remind the presenter that you're not going to re-record. We're not doing this again. You get one take, just as if it's live. Yes, and as you listen to the radio across Christmas, just enjoy all those programmes that are naturally live. Of course, even Christmas Day. Everything's live on the radio. This is Earshot. I'm Steve Martin. Hayley Hayes is with me. And Hayley, not for the first time... You've advised me to see a therapist. Why? Well, Becky Spellman, Dr Becky Spellman, I found her because she does a lot of TV and radio work. She obviously is an expert in her own field, but she's also used to being around us creative types. So she's not some boring psychologist who wouldn't understand folks like us. Dry and academic, she's certainly not. No, she's really bubbly, charismatic, she's great. Well, thank you for putting me in touch with uh, Dr. Becky. We're going to hear her now, a psychologist and a cognitive behavioural therapist. So I asked Dr. Becky, what happens in our minds when we have an idea? When we have an idea, we're either going to nurture it or ignore it. And more creative people tend to have habits that they do, such as writing things down, spending time alone so they can develop that idea rather than being distracted. Um, And it's very interesting because people can be highly creative and they can abandon that part of their life and they might 
because of their natural personality and where their self-esteem is at, they might feel like, oh, but I'm not good enough at the things I should be. Like I'm not, I'm not, not academic enough. So they might go and do all these studies and sort of abandon their creativity. But naturally that creative person, when it comes to it and when they're set certain challenges or they decide to spend time in certain ways, they can bring out that creative side to them again. So how can we bring that creativity back to the surface, Dr. Becky, and nurture the ideas we have? So creative people can really nurture their ideas by um, working on it. You know, that, that creativity that turns into a masterpiece takes time and effort and work. And then the people who are not naturally creative, they can also master it by developing their creative side and spending time on things that are creative. They'll probably struggle and get frustrated at the start because it's it's not naturally what feels at home for them. But then the more they do it, they can get better and, and better. So um, either whether you're a naturally creative person or you're not a natural, you might be a more logical, academic type person, you can nurture your creativity by spending more time on it and uh, by setting projects for your, yourself and finding any type of way that you can develop um, creativity. So, for example, you could decide that you're going to pick a blank room and you're going to do interior design to that room for that room. Now, if you're not a creative person at all, you're going to really struggle with this and you're going to get frustrated. And that's the point where a lot of people give up and just decide I'm not a creative person. However, if they stick in there and they keep working on, on their ideas and make mood boards and, and trial and error, um, you know, like uh, allowing all these mistakes to happen before they create a masterpiece, then they will finally get to this point where they have created and they've successfully created and they've created something that they're happy and, and proud of. Unfortunately, a lot of people who are not naturally creative will give up too soon. Um, then we've got the other people who are naturally creative, but they ignore their creativity or they don't nurture and develop their creativity. If you set them the exact same task, they are going to enjoy it more and they're going to get more of the reward and more of the successes. So when they're trying to develop their creativity, they're going to find it much easier. Um, but the key message is to give yourself the time and space and the tasks where you can you can nurture your creativity and you can work on it um and it's okay to have mind blocks if you're having a mind block you will overcome it as long as you can just give yourself a break and say you know right now is not just not the time for me I'm gonna focus on something else I'll come back to it later and then when you're feeling more motivated you can then go back to writing things down putting things together trying things out trial and error and you will start to feel that you're developing it more as a skill as time goes on if like many of the creatives i know you're the kind of person who procrastinates leaves everything to the last minute just in case a better idea might come along if you're only motivated by deadlines what can you do to take back control of the creative process and your time so I, I would say that people need to do some bouncing of some kind, and that might be talking to friends, talking to family, talking to strangers, or it might be Googling, or it might be going to magazines and flicking through. So it's basically finding 
material that you can bounce off your mind. And often other people are great because they'll just say one word and then that sets your mind off and you've got a whole new range of ideas. Or you can use bouncing by other means like the internet or magazines or whatever you can find. Um, so actually searching and like, it's like going on a fishing trip. You don't know what you're looking for, but you know, you're going to find something. And the people who procrastinate are usually people who are overworked and they've set aside way too much time for the task and they're expecting them to be themselves to be productive all of the time. So often people will work their best when it's the very last minute and they absolutely have to come up with something because that's when they're doing their bouncing because they're absolutely forced to do it. But if you don't want to put yourself under that stress and that pressure, start doing your bouncing much sooner. So just start asking your friends, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Maybe some of the stuff might be confidential, so you might be have to be have to be careful with how you phrase some of these questions, but you can still bounce ideas off other people without giving the game away and without telling them exactly what you're working on. Um, so this will all get your mind working and it, it will get those creativity juices flowing. Well, I don't know about you, Dr. Becky, but my clients will tell me their best ideas tend to come when they're they're not even thinking about them. And I can relate to that. It's, it's when you're away from the office, out of the studio, or sometimes even asleep. Yeah, and uh, I can relate to this. I'm a highly creative person myself, and sometimes I have my best ideas in my sleep or when I've just woken up and I'm still kind of half dreaming. Um, I literally can just, it can just come to me. People are more creative when they're relaxed and also creative minds can come out quite subconsciously. So I, another example that I have from my life is when I'm on the phone to people or I might be doing a Skype session with a client and I just happen to have a pen in my hand and I'm doodling away and all of a sudden the uh, phone call has ended and I've created this masterpiece of this like these amazing doodles on this piece of paper which becomes this this amazing picture and I'm not even using my conscious mind to uh, to focus on it so on a subconscious level our creativity can come out when we're not actually having solid thoughts about it so it's automatic thinking uh, rather than trying to focus and think on purpose about a particular topic so when we're at work and we need to stimulate some idea generation how can we get into a creative frame of mind quickly and without alcohol creativity doesn't come about in a logical step-by-step type of way so if you're at your desk and you're saying, I need to be creative right now, it's, uh, it's often not going to flow quite freely. And there's something very different happening in the brain of a creative person when they're at their most creative. Um, introspection can often be a big part of it. And when someone is particularly introspective, they can become very creative. So, so often people will be the most creative when they have had some sort of substance you know, whether it be alcohol or some artists have done, you know, these these paintings when they've been on different types of substances and they've, they've created something very different to when they were in their, their normal sober conscious mind. And, you know, I think this is about really activating different parts of the brain. And when you're sitting at your desk and you're trying on purpose to have logical thoughts about creativity this is not really the flow of how creativity works it's uh different parts of your brain need to be activated for your creativity to happen and that's often when you're not 
trying and you're not focused on it in such a concentrated way. Um, creativity is a disorganized thing and it actually is many different parts of the brain are involved in creativity, not just one part of the brain. Uh, so on a brain scan, a lot of different parts of the brain are going to be uh, lit up when you're at your most creative. Um, so this might be a good message for people who are trying to get their creativity flowing, give themselves a break if they're at their desk and they're trying, they're trying to come up with the ideas, do something different, do something that gives yourself a break and, um, and helps you be more creative in a, in a different way. Sometimes for me, it's just peace and quiet with no distractions and letting my mind go to a very relaxed place where I'm able to have lots of thinking that's not necessarily in an organized way. But then when all my ideas come out, I start to organize them then. Uh, so sometimes distractions can get in the way. Sometimes pressure can get in the way. Uh, sometimes the way that people are trying to be hyper-focused at one point, but actually feeling stress at the same time is going to get in the way. There's a lot of blocks to creativity. And people should just give themselves a break. Let the creativity come out in a very relaxed and natural way. Um, take themselves to the place where they will be the most relaxed. Some people might want to try meditating. Some people might want to try being creative when uh, they're on an airplane where there's their phone's not going and there's no one maybe talking to them or distracting them. But there's no one method for how to make yourself creative. It's about trial and error and seeing actually what works for you and what places do you tend to be in when you do your best work. Yes, if you ask radio producers where they have their best ideas, it's never in the studio, it's never in the office. You know, it's just as likely to be with friends and family as with colleagues also. And children seem to have an uninhibited sense of imagination, very impressive sometimes. What's going on in their minds that we might lose in adulthood? Yeah, unfortunately, life gets in the way of our creativity. Um, children have got amazing minds. They're incredibly in the present moment. And this is a very interesting thing because what tends to happen, children are the most mindful. So they're the most in the present moment. And then as they get older, life gets in the way, which means they start thinking about the past in an unhelpful way, which can feed into things like depression and altering people's mood in that way. Or they can think about the future in an unhelpful way, which feeds into anxiety and um, worry. So children, because they're so present, they've got very free minds and they're not burdened by all of the, these stresses and, and their minds going into these unhelpful directions. So I certainly believe that being in the present moment can allow creativity to take place. And then we've got things like people's natural personalities uh, that come into it as well. So some children are naturally very creative. Other children are not as creative. Um, but children have a freer mind for creativity than as adults. And this is why things like mindfulness and um and meditation or just relaxing and, and letting your thoughts go. You don't even have to have a structured mindfulness or meditation session to promote this, but just decluttering your mind, giving yourself time to relax, being at your most relaxed can promote creativity. So from your experience and your understanding of the human brain, what specific advice can you give us today uh, to someone who right now is embarking on a new creative project? Yeah, absolutely. I would say focus on a favorite thing that you want to 
that you'd quite like to master. So my example was like, if you want to try your hand at interior design, then you can start from square one and you know nothing about interior design. You've never done a room before. And then you think, okay, what ideas do I have? What's going to work? What images can I think of? Can I look for references? Can I do a mood board? Um, can I use things like Pinterest to get um, creativity going? Then start try, trial and error. And then with creativity, it's subjective. You will know when you're happy with what you've created and when you're not. And often people describe that they just get a sense of knowing that it's done. You know, they get a sense of knowing that it's complete and that they're satisfied. And... Um, and, and they know when it's not. So when you're developing your creativity, pick your passion, pick your thing that you will want to work on and, and just start putting things together. And, uh, you know, it's a masterpiece in the working and uh, that consistent working on it will mean that you will get better on it. So creativity is certainly something that you can work on and you can develop. And write it all down. Always, always, always write every single idea down so you never lose it. I, I almost always write all of my ideas down, which is usually just for um, writing content, writing writing articles about psychology and uh, um, or making YouTube videos, which I also do. And um, I always write every idea down because if I have it and it's an idea and I like it, I don't want to lose it. And, and some creative people don't write their ideas down so I would say always have your notepad on your phone ready and just have your list and that list can be as long as you want but um people are more likely to do the ideas that they write down than the ideas that they just think of or promise themselves that they'll eventually work on one day Lots of tips there, Dr. Becky. Thank you for being within Earshot. And if you'd like to contact Dr. Becky, you'll find her at drbecky.co.uk. The private therapy clinic.co.uk also, which is my other website. Okay, so two ways into your practice. You're in London's Harley Street, I see. Yeah, number two, Harley Street. But actually, most of my clients see me through Skype and uh, it sort of lends its way to the new way of working. A lot of people that uh, I know now work remotely so they can access me from anywhere. And uh, a lot of my clients are in different countries and stuff as well. Thanks again, Dr. Becky Spellman. Nice speaking to you, Steve. This is Earshot. I'm Steve Martin. Hayley Hayes is with me. And Hayley, you've been wrestling with the Earshot post bag there. I have. A lovely Mr. Peter Black has written to us. Hi, Steve. <laughs> this is a great article, the EQ article we're referring to. That's an article on the website. Yes, our Earshot website. So if you haven't been, do go. Very practical and clear. So thanks for passing it on. One aspect not covered in the article is the increasing issue of voice fry. I don't understand what it's that is. You, um, oh, I can't do it. But if you've got really bad sore throat you'll be doing the croak naturally so it's a bit it, the Americans do it a lot watch friends but this guy who's written to us is hearing a lot of it on the radio especially among young women yeah, he says, he says and particularly in young women although guys too seem to be falling under its spell we need some examples Mr Black get back in touch with us but the most important thing is well I think it's quite important he says please accept my commendations for the ever rising quality of the Earshot podcast I enjoyed the women in imaging podcast very much the addition of Haley as your girl Friday adds colour and her observations are frequently thought provoking thank you. Don't be afraid to let her become a little more contentious as any sparring between you could add even more bite to the show and ensure listeners' concentration which I'm sure is already very high. Basically what he's saying is Steve, less of you mate, let Haley run the show. 
I like this man. <laughs> uh, Peter Black, thank you uh, for writing and boosting Haley's ego even more. And it's your comments that make Earshot a better place to go. We have this podcast. We also have EarshotCreative.com full of articles and some lovely comments about some of the stuff we've put up there recently. Um, one in particular is the uh, Campaign Secrets of Magic in New York. Magic in the UK uh, ran a promotion for the new J.K. Rowling film, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And I spoke to Sarah Clark, who's their head of film at Bauer, the company that owns Magic. And the interview is is there on earshotcreative.com all those campaign secrets revealed by Sarah there and also if you ever wondered where the chart show started well I discovered a radio station in Mozambique in southern Africa uh, that is the home of the very first proper chart show the first chart show in the world to play the genuine records that were bought by people uh, you can find out all about that station uh, at earshotcreative.com and there's a great series of quick tips uh, from our friend christian troitz in germany uh, he has been putting together a great series of uh, quick tips for you if you use the pro tools platform for your audio production uh, some great ways of improving your workflow and speeding up uh, so you've got more time to be creative uh, so do have a look at all that it's all at earshotcreative.com earshotcreative.com So we're recording today in December. We're just off London's Oxford Street. It's very Christmassy out there. Yes, it's lovely. The Christmas lights are up and the pavements are heaving with shoppers. The toasty smell of roasted chestnuts is in the air. Oh, yes. Gentlemen in top hats and capes rush from one candlelit building to another, grasping canes, while horse and carriage is their means of transport. It's been like that since the drivers on the Southern Railway argued over who should open the doors of their advent calendar. Moving on. So every year, the soft AC station P7 flips to an all-Christmas format for a few weeks. Well, that's not in London, though, is it? No, that's in Norway. Uh I'm going to get to that in a minute. And it's a real audience driver. These last two weekends, the tracking data suggests it's been the second largest commercial station in Norway. P7 is a national DAB station that also has an FM outlet in the Oslo area. Imaging director Alexander Lilioem. Come on, I I had to phone the man earlier and take advice on how to pronounce his surname. That's as close as you're going to get. Anyway, he aired a top-of-the-hour ident for the station back in 2015, and it became so popular with listeners that they were phoning up the station to ask what was the music. It also has a lovely Christmassy video. And the great thing about Norway is there's no need to fake the snow. No, so uh, we'll put the video up at earshotcreative.com. Have a look at that. Uh, We're going to hear the full jingle now and the song as we play out today and I'd like to say thanks to Alexander to John Vorhouse, you Haley Hayes oh and Dr Becky and thanks to you for being within Earshot Yeah.
Sehen. Sie 